Hey, you're listening to the Creative Pep Talk Podcast. This show exists to help you build a thriving creative career. I'm your host, Andy J. Pizza. You can stay up to date with all things Creative Pep Talk by following me on Instagram at Andy J. Pizza. Let's jump into today's episode. I really needed to rehaul my website. I was talking to some web people, looking around, and I got intrigued by Squarespace's new fluid engine, partially because it just sounds cool, but also because it allows you to drag and resize and layer up anything you can imagine. I dove in, rebuilt my site. It's the most me site that I've ever had. I just absolutely love it. Launched it. Got such a great response. Some industry illustration and designy peers even reached out and was like, hey, who coded this thing, man? I'm like, y'all, I did it by myself. No coding with Squarespace's new Fluid Engine. I told him like, you should go check it out. You're gonna be surprised with what you can do. And I built this thing before Squarespace reached out to sponsor the show. So I was like, boom, easy peasy. I was gonna tell you about this new site. Anyway, go check it out, anyjpizza.com if you wanna see what I did with it. If you want to try it yourself, make a site that's totally you where you can build a portfolio, sell content and courses and all kinds of other stuff, head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with promo code PEPTALK, all one word, all uppercase. This episode is supported by In The Making, an original podcast brought to you by Adobe Express, the all-in-one content creation app included in your Creative Cloud membership. If you are trying to boost the YouTube, TikTok, Reels content side of what you're doing, one episode of In The Making that I think will be super useful to you is their episode with John Ushai. I think John's method for including his audience in the process is really inspiring. And if you want to hear about that and more about leveling up your game in the creator economy, just search In The Making in your podcast player to listen. Many thanks to In The Making and Adobe Express for their support. So you might notice that I have a little bit of a cold going on. You'll hear it in my voice, but I had this episode planned for, I've been working on it for about a week, and I'm so jazzed about it that I had to get it out there even though my voice is going to be a little bit weird. So you have to excuse the voice, but I didn't want to take a week off when I had something planned that I was really excited about. So there you go. Here's what today's episode is all about. I believe that creative people avoid business because they think that they're bad at business. And I believe that they think that they're bad at business because they don't really understand what it is. At least that was the case in my creative career. I spent the first several years of my creative journey you know, trying to keep my overheads really low, trying to deal with money as little as possible, and basically avoid business at all costs because I thought I'm not a, you know, I'm a, I'm a creative person. I'm not some uptight numbers person. I don't know how to do all that jazz. Just let me draw my cool pictures and have a good time and do as little business as possible. And I really think I avoided business because 
I thought I'm obviously bad at business. And so I don't want anything to do with it. You know, I'm a pretty competitive person actually, but I didn't realize it until I was an adult because if you're really, really competitive, you only wanna partake in activities that you're good at. And I'm really bad at sports. And so I, as a competitive person, I couldn't take it playing sports and getting crushed over and over because I'm too competitive for that. But sports is where you typically associate uh, with competition. And so I didn't think of myself as a competitor. And I think that same kind of thinking went into avoiding business. You don't, a lot of, most people don't want to do stuff that they suck at. And if you're a creative person, you probably assume that you suck at business and it could cause you to avoid all business things and it also cause you to never really fully thrive in your creative career because one half of the term creative career is business, the career side. And if you avoid and minimize and run away from business, you're never going to find your full potential. You're never going to truly thrive. All the time I get sent questions, you know, actually on my Instagram, I've been using the Instagram stories feature where you can ask questions and I've got tons and tons of questions from my followers and they've, they actually impacted this episode that we're doing. I'm doing this episode because of the answers I got. And a lot of the questions are about business in quotations like let's talk about some real business andy not just this big fluffy theory philosophy strategy stuff that you like talking about let's talk about numbers because that's business pricing bookkeeping time management everything to do with numbers and at the end of this episode, I'm going to answer some of that stuff. I'm going to give you everything I know about these topics. But before we went there, I wanted to start with why I think those questions are flawed from the start. Because all of those questions were categorized as real business questions. And I think that in that lies a serious problem because I think it it shows uh, this preconsumption that we have, preconsumption, preconception that we have about what is business. And if we misunderstand it, I think we're gonna misunderstand the fact that you're probably, you probably have the potential to be incredible at business because creative people are extremely valuable and needed in business and you have things in you that could cause you to be a better business person than most numbers people. And so I want to share, before we go into the real business questions, I want to say that's not real business, by the way. That's part of business. But a much bigger part is about creati creativity. And I want to share with you the business breakthrough that changed my creative career first. Like I said, for years at the start of my creative career, I completely avoided anything that felt businessy whatsoever. I was petrified by the idea of business. I knew that I must be completely terrible at business since I'm a creative person, right? And the, if you've listened to this podcast for very long, 
you know that after a few years, I crashed and burned, really hit rock bottom. My career, creative career was over. I took down my website and I really completely and utterly gave up on having a creative career. And when I look back on how I got from rock bottom to building a thriving creative career, and I really tried to understand what the process of that was, I had this big breakthrough recently that I wanted to share with you. And here's what I think it ultimately was. Here's what I think really pulled me up from the bottom. It was meeting my friend, Andrew Nyer. So Andrew Nyer is a product designer and illustrator living in Cincinnati. He was actually here just last week. We were working on a project together. We, we still collaborate quite often. But when I was at this really low point, you know, and I'd really completely refused the call to adventure that is business, when I was in that place, I got a message from Andrew, and I'd never heard of him. I never met him at the time, and he wanted me to do a show in his gallery space in Cincinnati that he was running at the time. And I thought, what the heck, I'll give it a shot. This was right in the season where I'd taken down my website and pretty much given up. Had a totally, I got a totally different job uh, at a youth shelter and was trying to make a totally different career. But I got this message from Andrew. It sounded really fun. And so I thought, I'll give it a shot. And when I went to Cincinnati and I met this guy, I don't think I realized it at the time, but it was this extremely formative moment in my life. And even though we're peers and we really have over the years helped each other out, you know, I've helped him with things and he's helped me with things. This was really like the meeting of the mentor, the meeting of the guide. And I think what a really good mentor is, is someone who is just like you in a way, but much better than you in another way. I think for a mentor really to have a massive impact on you, I think the best of them in my life are people that you can really see yourself in, but kind of a new and improved version of you. And when I met Andrew and I went to his gallery space, I went into this space that to me felt like the nicest, coolest, cleanest place in the world. It was a place where I wanted to spend all of my time. He'd created this gallery, this massive gallery space in downtown Cincinnati with all these beautiful white walls and gorgeous chairs and and all just everything looked so designed and fancy to me and it was like the opposite of the way that I was living you know it it seemed like good business it seemed successful it seemed like not avoiding overhead and not avoiding money and 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 contracts and and all of the things that just petrified me and here was this creative person at the center of it all and what's even funnier to me is that that his name was Andrew which is just the business version of my own name 
And so, and so I could see myself in this person that also was clearly good at all of these businessy things that I was so petrified of. And it was this meeting and this, and this time spent with this person that inspired me to finally truly say yes to the call to adventure of really swimming into the waters of business because I realized for the first time, even though I didn't completely understand it, that maybe I actually could succeed at business if Andrew was. And so here's what happened. After I ended up seeing this version of myself that was good at business and and it gave me the courage to say yes to 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 business and and swimming in those waters. I ended up finding this thing called strategy, business strategy. And we just did a whole series on strategy called the Creative Side Quest series and I when I was in the waters of business, I discovered this strategy. I discovered all of these layers of strategy, this idea that you need to find and communicate your place in the market. You need to have a unique value proposition. You really have to have value in your work. You have to be giving away something of value. You have to make meaningful connections and have meaningful collaborations with people in your industry. You really have to target market and target towards weak points of entry into your industry. And my work over these years became increasingly more and more strategic on purpose. And this, this strategy that I found by swimming into the business waters truly saved my career. And I wouldn't have done it if I hadn't seen an example of myself that was successful at doing it. And it changed everything for me. So then something funny happened. Something weird that I didn't expect. I had swam into the business waters because of the meeting of the mentor, because of meeting the business version of Andy, AKA Andrew. (laughs) And uh, I'd found the elixir of strategy and I'd made, and I'd brought it back home to my creativity. I'd made all of my work strategic and it changed my whole creative career. It's why I'm here doing what I'm doing today. But this weird thing happened. Once I was in a place where I was really thriving in my illustration career, this weird thing happened. And it started when I took the StrengthsFinder test. So StrengthsFinder is an online test, uh, costs like 12 bucks, where you get your top five strengths. And I took this test and and I'm a personality test junkie. I don't know if I'm just a narcissist or what, you know, I'm just one of these people that really likes personality tests, love it or hate it, whatever. I like them. 
and I took the strengths finder and I expected to get answers that affirmed all the things that I already knew about myself from the other tests that I'd taken. But this test was truly different and the results I got were completely unexpected. And in fact, the number one strength that I got on this test was strategic. And it said that having a strategic strength is not something you can learn. It's something you're born with. It's something innate. And this kind of, when I first got these results back, my initial response was kind of like, this has got to be wrong. Like the strategy sounds like something businessy. Sounds like something I learned and discovered on the journey of business. Something that I had to mold myself into, not something that I was gifted with. And then as I sat with it and I started examining things, the following months, I started to realize that this top strategy gift was completely accurate and that it had always been true. And I looked back at the start of my career and the start of my career, I'd I had a book published called The Indie Rock Coloring Book, and I and I had made that idea while I was still in college. The book came out within a year of me graduating college, and it really was the spark that lit the fuse for my creative career and got things kicked off. And I realized that in the Indie Rock Coloring Book, there were like all of the layers of strategy that I'd learned about later by swimming into the business waters that I had had, whether I, now I didn't understand it and I couldn't quite command these layers of strategy. I couldn't replicate this process because I didn't really understand what it is I was doing, but I had built these layers of strategy in my first ever professional project way before I really knew what it is I was doing. And This other thing ended up happening as I had swam in, a lot of swimming in this episode. This episode is clearly a swimming episode. As I went into business and I started to immerse myself into that culture and allowed myself to take it seriously and I studied the books and the magazines, this other weird thing happened where I kept finding people that reminded me just of me that had crushed it in business, that were amazing at business. I had recognized Uh, that creative gene that I had and that my friends had and the creatives in my life have in people like Seth Godin, Mark Cuban, Steve Jobs, Gary Vaynerchuk, all of these people were creative types. And it started to kind of blow my mind. And the reason is, is because I always thought I sucked at business on a natural level and it was something that I had to learn for myself or I had to tack on. And I always assumed that I, that creative people sucked at business and that we, if we could just avoid it and go live out in a hut in the wilderness and just paint paintings, that that would be ideal. And it just sucks that we happen to be born into this society that so values business only to realize that creative people are incredible assets to the business community and maybe are the best at doing business. And this shift in my thinking changed everything for me because I realized that I had all of this tremendous value that I wasn't utilizing and that creative people were tremendously valuable in the culture that we find ourselves in today. And that because they don't know it, they're avoiding it. 
And I think it's kind of like The Wizard of Oz. So I was thinking a lot about this, and then I kept hearing about it, having all this synchronicity. I heard about uh, the theme and the thesis of Wizard of Oz from Brian McDonald on the Belief Agency series they're doing. They're doing a video series. I think it also might be a podcast. It's called You Are a Storyteller. And Brian McDonald wrote a book called Invisible Ink about story structure. And they, they, I, I saw a clip where they're talking about this theme from Wizard of Oz. And then I'm reading a book called 20 Master Plots and How to Build Them. And they talked about this theme from Wizard of Oz. And it was just this thing that has been on my mind a lot lately. And it's kind of blown me away. And here it is. The idea of Wizard of Oz is that the journey isn't supposed to give you something that you don't have. The journey is supposed to teach you what you have. The whole thesis and theme behind Wizard of Oz is this idea that Dorothy is on a path to find her way home And at the end of the story, she realizes that the ruby red slippers that she's wearing the entire journey are the key that they hold the magic to taking her home. And she could have taken, she had the magic and the key to going home from the start of the journey. And the scarecrow goes on this massive path to find a brain, but in fact, he had a brain the whole time. And... Every character in this story has the same story, that the journey wasn't about getting something that they didn't have. It was about discovering what they had. And so for me personally, my foray into business, my swimming into the business territory, if you will, which you will, because if you wouldn't, then you wouldn't be here listening to me talking about swimming into the business. If if swimming into the business waters was a deal breaker for you, you would have turned this podcast off seven minutes ago. <laughs> so you clearly will. If you will, humor me <laughs> about swimming into the business waters. My journey into business was not about becoming good at business. It was discovering that I was good at business. And I want this episode to be that realization for you. I want you to realize by being a creative person, you have the potential. You already have the most valuable tools for being great at business. And if that you if you will understand what you already have, that you will crush it in business. And so what I want to talk to you about today is the uh, the few different types of business people and the strengths of each type help you identify your type so that you cannot be scared of business, not misunderstand it, not think that business is just math because it's not. Business is by by far more about creativity than it is about numbers. The numbers, the accounting, the taxes, all of that stuff, those are rules. Those are things that anybody can figure out. You know, some people have a natural proclivity towards it, uh, and, and a lot of those people are not creative people, but those are just rules. The real sauce, the secret sauce of business is creativity. 
That's where the good stuff happens. That's why the stock market is unpredictable because it's not a science. It's magic. And you have the magic within you. They're on your feet right now, baby. You got the ruby red slippers. You just got to know what they do. And so we got to figure out what kind of business person you are. We're going to go through the types of business people. You can identify who you are so you can be confident to swim in those waters. Maybe you don't have ruby red slippers. Maybe those slippers are flippers. And you can get swimming into these business waters today. Let's get swimming. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about you identifying your business type. What type of business person are you? And that will help you own it and then also believe in yourself and command. You know, I was already strategic at the moment of conception. (laughs) The moment I was conceived... The genes fit together in such a way that Dr. Andy J. Pizza was going to be a strategic business person. But it wasn't until I understood that I was strategic and understood what that meant that I could really own it and command it. You can have the ruby red slippers, but if you don't know the the magic words, if you don't know how to tap your heels, it doesn't matter. You can have all the magic all day. That's why Harry still has to go to Hogwarts, right? He's got all the chosen potential in him, but he's still got to learn how to do it. And to start, you got to know what type are you? Now, I'm not going to, I'm, I'm tempted to go straight down into a Harry Potter metaphor and abandon the Wizard of Oz metaphor right now and say, are you a Gryffindor? Are you a Slytherin? But that's not how I plan this episode and it doesn't work with our metaphor or our analogy, Andy. So just drop it. If I had another kid, maybe I'd name him Harry, but my first daughter is named Dorothy after Wizard of Oz. That's how much I love Wizard of Oz. Anyway, we're going to use, we're going to go, we're going to roll with the Wizard of Oz analogy. We're going to find out, are you a scarecrow, a lion, a tin man, or a Dorothy when it comes to business? And these business profiles, they're not just Andy plucking them out of the ether. You know, being only one of these business types, I don't have full knowledge of all of these types and I don't understand it to that level. Um, You know, I couldn't have come up with it. These are actually mapped from two different references, two different business uh, books. One is called uh, Predictable Success and I think the other book is called The Synergist. And these are written by Les McEwen and that's where... uh, these business types come from, but they're also very similar to the business types accounted in E-Myth, which is another really massive business book. And so we're using those in kind of the comparison of those two and reinventing them to be more fun because it's more fun to say, am I a scarecrow or a lion than to say, am I a, an innovator or an implementer, right? That's way lamer. And I also feel like by finding, by connecting these two profiles that we're getting a wider swath of info and and better info. So anyway, that's what we're doing. Let's start with it. Number one, why don't we start with the one that I am just because I'm biased and partial to it. We'll call it a scarecrow because it's about brains. It's about vision. It's about big picture. Are you a visionary or an entrepreneur? The scarecrow is all about big ideas. 
Are you someone who just has this big picture thinking, thinks about the philosophy and the theory and not the details? You know, for me personally, that means if I'm learning guitar, I need to know the song I'm playing. I can't just learn the notes. Now, there are other types of people that are happy to learn all of the notes before they ever play a song. And that's a different business type. But the scarecrow needs to know the big picture to get the ball rolling. And a lot of creative people will fall into the visionary camp, but not all. So are you a scarecrow? Are you a big picture thinker? One of your problem areas that you're going to have to look out for. And we're going to talk about problem areas and then also solutions when it comes to business. The first problem area that we're going to talk about for the scarecrow is you're you're going to be prone to move on. And Les McEwen talks about this in Predictable Success. He talks about how the visionary is the person that comes up with the idea for the business. And, it, and the problem is that when the visionary goes on vacation, they might come back and say, actually, I got a whole new idea. We're scrapping it. We're not a shoe business. We're going to be a suitcase business because I went to vacation and I found out this new information. I'm inspired. I got new ideas. And the big problem for the scarecrow is, is jumping from one sexy big idea to the next sexy big idea without ever getting into the details and making it happen. I know what I'm saying right now is stepping on a few of your toes right now. Can you feel it, creative people? Having big ideas but not implementing them. And so I'm that person. And even though I've learned a lot of tricks about how, how to finish, and I get better at finishing every year, finishing what I start, it's still my biggest problem because even though I know how to have an idea, execute it, get it published, there's actually further parts of that chain that I still struggle with. So for, for it used to be that I had 100 ideas and I wouldn't implement any of them. I would just go on to the next big idea. Then I learned how to turn big ideas into things and... I'm good at doing that now, but now where I'm still struggling as a visionary, as a scarecrow, is I come up with the idea, I execute it, but I don't go out and promote it. I want to move on to the next thing as quickly as possible, and I don't give the things that I make enough of a chance by actually spreading the word because I want to move on too quick. So if you are a scarecrow, you are probably likely to have the problem of moving on too quick before you've really given your ideas enough oomph. And so what's the solution to that? For me personally, two things have helped me. One is committing to a season, committing not to a lifetime of a particular idea, but saying, okay, this idea, it requires a six-month project or it requires eight pieces of work and to commit before I get started, make it self-contained within a project. Project-based is so much easier than task-based for me as a visionary person. As a visionary, I'm very visionary. <laughs> I just, as referring to myself as a visionary sounds like the dumbest thing in the world. It's just the type, okay? Maybe my visions aren't, you know, a lot of my visions have to do with pizza. So I'm not saying... I have visions, but they might not be that important. Anyway, just a little self-deprecation to knock myself 
down a few pegs. Um, anyway, but for me, project making it project-based really helps. And then the other thing is realizing that every project is an iteration towards better ideas. So instead of thinking, oh, this idea is either good or bad, the idea is it's gray, and in that grayness that I'm going to find in this project, I'm going to learn what I need to learn to iterate to a better idea next time. And it's all just ways of tricking myself as an idea person into getting into the details, committing enough to get, uh, get to where I'm going. All right, profile two, we're going to call the lion. And I call it the lion because it, this is the doer. And lions go after stuff. And that's what this profile is all about. It's the operator or the manager. The lion is the to-do list obsessed. It's the person that is all about the day-to-day -day operations of making it happen. Like, great, big idea. What are we going to do? How are we going to make it a reality? My wife is a lion. She gets very tired of my big ideas that don't have actionable steps. So... This is the person that if you're a crazy to-do list person where you're obsessed with to-do list and list and crossing it off and, and having actionable steps and, and needing to know exactly how things are going to translate into the day-to-day -day making it happen, you might be a lion. Now, one of the problem areas of a lion, and this is just me looking at my wife and, and saying, you don't like my big ideas? Well, let me tell you what's wrong with lions for a minute. <laughs> Uh, don't tell Sophie I said that. Um, <laughs> uh, here's what I think a problem area is for a lion. I think a lion requires outside pressure. So a visionary, they might quit, but they'll definitely get started. You have to start before you quit, right? Scarecrows love to get started, but lions need outside pressure to get started. They need something to, that says... This is what you need to do now. Once you say this is the thing you need to do, they'll do it. But coming up with what the thing to do is, is more of a scarecrow thing. And so I've seen this in my wife. When she was in school and she had assignments, she would knock it out of the park. She'd turn it into a to-do list, just crush it. But once it became completely up to her, she's just doing her thing, freelancing sort of thing, it was a lot harder for her to figure out what the to-do list was. And if she didn't have the to-do list, she wasn't going to do anything. And so if she, you know, for her, her Etsy became a to-do list. It was, these are the orders that you have to finish. And so that outside pressure helps her thrive. And so for her, things that I've seen really help her are daily constraints. So, you know, daily projects projects where all of the to-do lists are decided up front and putting energy and time into that and figuring out and creating her own constraints and rules and, and deadlines. Those are the daily kind of constraints that will help feel like outside pressure, that will help fuel the to-do list. And another thing is out accountability partners. You know, these are the people that need a friend that say, I'm going to meet you at the gym 
That's the kind of pressure that makes it onto the to-do list. So workout buddies, and that might be collaborative, creative buddies. Maybe you, if you're a lion, maybe you need to pair with a visionary that's going to get all these ideas flowing and these deadlines uh, imagined. And then you're the person that's like, all right, well, I can totally put that into the to-do list and make it happen. Okay, so if the scarecrow is sitting back and imagining what should we do, and the lion is like, here's how, let, or let's make it happen. The tin man says, how are we going to do it? How is the best way to make this thing happen? What are, and so the tin man is how we do it. And I'm thinking the tin man has an assembly line, this finely tuned machine that chops and brings in the logs. And, you know, it's this root, this system. The tin man is the processor or the technician. Tin man is about the, the routines, the spreadsheets, the productivity, the systems. What are the, how are we going to run this system to be m- max profitable? So, you know, this is contracts, this is, this is bookkeeping, this is, uh, you know, cutting the fat, figuring out the most efficient way from here to there. That's the type of business person this is. A problem area for the Tin Man is future planning. So the Tin Man gets so focused on the day-to-day of how to make to get business in and out of the door that they're often so present in the moment that it's hard for them to see the big picture and the big picture is a big part of business and so what i've seen work for tin man is hire a coach hire a, a career coach that can work with you and talk about how to actually get to a day-to-day that you want to be in down the road, uh, or just coffee dates with friends with scarecrows and lions that can help round you out. If you're so, maybe, if you are really, really good about the process, you can have a phenomenal business. You know, I have friends that, uh, you know, they come, they've come up with ideas, even if it wasn't in their skill set or they collaboratively did it. Um, even if it's not as natural or fun for them to do the scarecrow thing, they've come up with these basic ideas, but the ideas they come up with have the process in mind. You know, I think my friend Andrew and my wife Sophie both are a little bit more processor oriented, a little more tin man than I am. And the, the creative things that they make actually have good processes designed into them saying, if we make this product, it will be this fast to make. It'll, this will be the profit margin. This will be, you know, and those people make really g- good products that are efficient, that, that have good profit margins. So it doesn't matter what type of business person you are. You, if you know what type you are, A, you can set up the type of business that will help you be profitable and lean into that type of business and make sure you're in the type of business you should be. And B, it can help you surround yourself with people that um, will even you out. But we're going to get to that in a second. If you are a 10 man, I suggest hiring a coach and or coffee dates with other types, with scarecrows that will help you think big picture and not get bogged down on just producing the same thing over and over in more and more efficient ways. So that that's something you got to look out for. 
Last one, the last type is the Dorothy, and she is the synergist. She is the person that, it's kind of human resources, it's the person that gets Lion, Scarecrow, and Tin Man all together on the same journey, working together, the teamwork, keeping all these different weird types of business people working in tandem to let the business thrive. And so the big problem area for Dorothy's is if they're all by themselves, they're really not at their best. They're not going to succeed. They're not really going to shine in business. And so I see a lot of creative people. You know, I think it's easy to be a sole proprietor, to be someone just out on your own freelancing. But the Dorothy is never really going to fully succeed if they're if she's not or he's not working with uh, other people. So a solution for the Dorothy is making sure that your work is not solitary and there's a lot of creative things you can do. It doesn't always just mean working in-house somewhere or working for somebody else. It can mean co-working spaces. It can mean making a collective. You know, I think one of my favorite examples of this is Ghostly Ferns, which I isn't quite the same thing that it used to be, but but a few years ago, Ghostly Ferns with this design collective where it was a bunch of sole proprietors working in tandem in a space where they would, there was, and there was one point person getting all of these people to work on a project together depending on what the project was. And so it was a co-working space with people with different skills. And if you're a Dorothy, one of the things you could do is you could set up that loose collective between even people remotely and say, I have a handful. You might be the type of person that sees this potential, sees, you know, sees the scarecrow and the lion and the tin man all off doing their own things and seeing how their powers combined like Voltron could come together to kick a lot of butts. That might be you. So if that's you, that's one of the ways that you can get paid creatively to be the point person on a project that brings in a lot of different people. Or it can look like consulting for other businesses. But either way, what I would say your problem area is, is working alone and you've got to orient your business. If you're a Dorothy, if you're all about teamwork and, and seeing the potential of all these other people and putting it together in a synergistic way, you've got to figure out how to work in a team environment. And that doesn't always mean working in-house. So you got the four types. We've got the scarecrow, the lion, the scarecrow, the lion, the I don't know why I went on a loop there for a second. Let me try that again. The scarecrow, the lion, the tin man, and the Dorothy. If you're curious on which one you are and you're not really sure from just this process, uh, Les McEwen, the person behind Predictable Success and the Synergist, has a quiz, synergistquiz.com. And you can go just take a quiz and get some info that way. But I, I always prefer to get as many questions from all of these different places, from, from things like this episode and things like that quiz and, and go do more research and not let them tell me who I am, but to give me tell me what the questions are and wrestle with them. So you can go check out that quiz, check out the book, check out eMyth and their, their business types. And once you figure out who you are, surround yourself with the other people because if you have all of those different pieces, you can, those parts 
together are the key to businesses thriving. So the first thing you got to do is find out what you are, figure out what the strengths and weaknesses of that type are, lean into them in business, and then surround yourself with those other types. Like I said before, my wife is a lion. I'm a scarecrow. I have other lions in my life. Uh, I believe that my agent is a tin man. Uh, He's got things about process that really helps me on a daily basis stay tuned into what I need to be doing stay tuned into the 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 contracts and the and, and the timelines and and the bidding and all of that stuff that as a scarecrow is not on my radar on the day to day while I'm thinking about the future and thinking about the next things and so for me personally finding out who I am meant that I could build a business You know, one of the things I love about this podcast, and I think scarecrows are really like this, scarecrows love creativity that is as immediate as possible. If you can go from idea to executed as quickly as possible, a scarecrow is going to be happy. That's why I love public speaking and why I love this podcast is that talking as a creative medium is the most immediate way to get an idea realized. And from understanding that that was my business type, I could lean into it and build my creative business around that. And so the first thing you got to do is figure out which one you are, figure out what your strong points are, what your blind spots are, and then in those blind spots, make up for them, but also surround yourself with people that can help your business thrive. But ultimately, the biggest takeaway, before we go into the really the, uh, the last practical bits that I want to share with you, the ultimate thing that I want you to get is that you are one of these four people. This is, this is the whole range of, of types of people. And businesses need these types of people, and they're all rare. That We need all of these different types. And you can build a creative business on the back of all of these different types. I've seen all these types be successful in business. And I want you to realize that you've had the ruby red slippers the whole time. You just got to figure out what the, what the, what the got to figure out how to say the, the password. <laughs> There's no place like home. <laughs> what? Anyway, let's go on to the practical stuff. Okay, so now we'll go to the practical section of this episode, but only continue if I have successfully convinced you that business is not about numbers primarily. Like business is about a lot of things. Yes, numbers are part of that, but they are not the whole. And I would argue they are not the most important part, but that's coming from a scarecrow, right? However, if you are sufficiently convinced, we'll go into the most practical stuff that I'll probably ever share on this this show. Uh, we'll start with resources, business resources that have had a massive impact on my life. First of all, when I got my ruby red flippers and started swimming into the seas of business, the thing where I found my elixir, where I found my sword in the stone, where I found the thing that changed it all, aka strategy was in these business resources. When I finally decided to quit refusing the call to the adventure, I 
dove deep, baby. I committed big time and I started massively researching and eating up as much business content, as much as much fresh business content as I could sink my teeth into. My mouth's just watering right now thinking about that business content. But there's a lot of stuff out there. It can be overwhelming, hard to know where to start. And actually, you know, even if you're already in it, you probably just need a few tips of some good go-tos because, it, you know, there's a lot of junk out there too. So I'm going to share books and podcasts. Three books that had a game-changing effect on me. First one, The Dip by Seth Godin. You've heard me talk about it on this show. It's a tiny little book. Actually, all three of these books are small. They might be on my list because I love small books more than big books. Honestly, you know, I heard Seth Godin actually say this, that when he gets sent a business book to review, often in the first couple chapters, he's like, yeah, I get it. I don't need eight more chapters explaining and giving examples for this thing. I get it. And I usually feel that way with business books. I'll read five chapters and be like, what the heck? Like, no. And actually, uh, I'm going to suggest Blinkist. Blinkist isn't – this is off – this is uh, off the grid, baby. We're going, we're flying by the seats of our pants here for a second. I'm just going to mention Blinkist. It's a subscription. It costs like 80 bucks a year, but it will give you the bullet point values and principles from books, from nonfiction books. And I found it to be tremendously helpful with books that were dry or books that were, you know, just, I just didn't want to read them. They weren't, they weren't doing it for me. I feel like I can get the gist of the book through these, they're kind of like cliff notes for business books and nonfiction books. Go check it out, Blinkist. Anyway, back to The Dip. The Dip by Seth Godin. It tells you uh, when to keep going and when to give up on ideas. And I think for creative people, entrepreneurs, people who are trying new things, it's a very difficult process to believe in what you're doing enough to keep going and to give up when it's time to give up. It's not all about grit and perseverance. Sometimes it's about failing fast. And how do you know when to do which and when to do the other? I found that and more in the dip and I highly suggest it. I think it's... uh, It's my favorite thing that I've ever encountered by Seth Godin. Number two, Platform by Michael Hyatt. Michael Hyatt is, if you're a creative person, Michael Hyatt might be a really different type of person to interact with. He's, you know, he's deep within the business world. He was a CEO of a publishing company. Uh, You know, everything about his style isn't my jam. All of his vibes aren't my jam. And that's totally fine. I, I, I've, if you're going to swim into these waters, you're going to have to be someone who doesn't judge a book by its cover and it's someone who goes in, leaves what you don't want, takes what you do. you got to learn how to be good at that if you're going to get good at business. And, uh, you know, no offense, Michael Hyatt. You're just very businessy. And for some of us creatives, that can make us afraid, can make us scared. Uh, but Platform by Michael Hyatt It really is a must-read for creative... (laughs) This really is a must-read. You've got to read it. It's it's completely at the top of my must-reads. Who am I? Who have I become? (laughs) It, it, It is. And here's why. Platform is just about how you've got to be building a platform online to to make your entrepreneurial efforts succeed because that's just the 
that is the what's the word it's the currency of the day-to-day and in the creative world if you want to get books published if you want to get clients the more you build your platform online meaning you're following on on Instagram and Twitter and, and, and your podcast or your blog or your YouTube or whatever, the more you can invest and build those things up, the easier it is to accomplish your goals. And you don't have to have the most giant, crazy, big platform in the universe. You just have to have something that works for your niche. And I think that that book is incredible at giving really practical tips on how to get started on building your platform. And I would say that there is no better time than now to get moving on that. Number three, my third favorite book in the business sector is Growth Hacker Marketing by Ryan Holiday. And another really small book that really explains product market fit. Lots of what we talk about on this podcast is about product market fit. I am Buku bonkers for product market fit. I am crazy about it. And I think that it's maybe the number one issue for creative people that they really avoid and they they don't take it seriously. We're going to do a whole episode soon about uh, what I'm going to call focal point, creating a pattern and breaking it. I don't want to give it away. I don't want to talk about it too much. But Growth Hacker Marketing talks about that. And I think it's it's really the key to thriving in, in your creative career. It's the key to having that inflection point where you figure out what you have and what other, what the market actually wants. Go check it out. Three podcasts real quick. The, leader, the Entree Leadership Podcast, number one. Uh, it's a podcast arm from the Dave Ramsey crew, those characters down in the South uh, in their debts, their, their anti-debts. Go check out the episode uh, with Jonah Berger. They interview him. He has a book called Contagious, which is about how ideas spread, how how something goes viral. I think that episode's really good, good interview. Number two is the Gary V Experience. Gary Vaynerchuk, another cat who's from the Jersey Shore. And this guy's going to have a – he's not – the way I said that sentence, it sounded like I was saying – Another cat. This per, this is a cat. <laughs> this is a cat doing a podcast. Anyway, what I meant was another cat like Michael Hyatt, who is very different flavor than your typical creative industry person. But honestly, I think Gary V is truly a scarecrow, truly a creative type but deep within the entrepreneurial Silicon Valley space. And because of that, his flavor might put you off a tad. But if you will swim in with those ruby red flippers, I promise you're going to find some gold. Ideas about social media on there that totally changed the game for me. Go check out any of his keynote episodes on the Gary Vee Experience. Last but not least, How I Built This. How I Built This is an NPR podcast that talks with founders, people that started big companies, and I think that that podcast in particular is great at seeing yourself in the different types of business people, the different types of business people that will give you an idea of all the different types of people that can start start businesses, and it'll help you kind of type yourself out and see who you're like and see how they built businesses. Three episodes I would suggest looking into. The Patagonia episode is off the charts phenomenal. The person that started the, started Patagonia. 
the guy who started Power Rangers in the States. That episode is ridiculously great. And then the episode with Chuck E. Cheese, the person who started Chuck E. Cheese and Atari. You didn't know that, but the guy who started Atari was also the guy who made Chuck E. Cheese. Freaking nuts. That episode's fantastic. Uh, I see myself in that person a lot too. So, bonus resource. This, this is heavy stuff. Bonus resource. Anything by Harvard Business Review. And I just say that so that I sound really intellectual. I'm really into the Harvard Business Review. No, but seriously, one of the first business books I ever bought was one of the HBR, Harvard Business Reviews, uh, like listy books. They put a lot of listy books out that are just like a list. They're like eight articles combined over one topic into a book. Really good books, really short, which we like. Uh, and and tons of great info. They also have a podcast that's really no frills. You're not going to have to get past any personalities on this one. It's just straight up business stuff. Go find a topic on there that interests you. There you go. Those are the resources. Let's move on to some other bits. All right, let's talk about pricing real quick. Whether you are wherever you are, Wherever you are, whoever you are, you've got to think about pricing a little bit, even if you don't have clients. But even if you do, if, you ha- if you're licensing your music or you're signing a publishing contract of any kind, whether you're you know, designing logos for a client, whatever, you've got to have some kind of sense of what you think your time and your work is worth. And I think there are just some really practical ways to go about thinking about this. So the first thing I would do if you haven't already done this is to take what you would like your salary to be. And I don't mean what you want your salary to be in 10 years, but I mean what would sound fantastic right now, something realistic and a little aspirational. What salary would you like? Divide that by the year, the the weeks in a year that you want to work. You might want to work, you might want to take four weeks off. So let's divide it by 48, that's that salary number. Divide, then that's how much you want to earn a week. Then divide that by the number of days you want to work in a week. Let's say it's five days a week. If you're just conventional like that, you and your conventional work week, that's so 2009. Uh, Anyway, divide your salary by the amount of weeks you want to work in a year, divided by the days you want to work in a week. That gives you roughly a day rate. And I would just pad that out a little bit too. Like I would just think you're probably not going to be doing billable work for five days a week. And so I would probably divide it by four instead of five because just the admin and the general upkeep and the and the margin of error, if you really want to have that salary, I'd divide it by four if you plan on working five days a week because one day a week, you're not going to be doing billable stuff. Does that make sense? You know what I'm saying? So there you go. That's a day rate. You could divide that by the amount of hours you want to work in a day. That's your hourly rate. Now, if you're a creative person, let me just give you this advice right from the get-go. Don't be given anybody. If you can help it, don't tell anybody your day rate. Don't tell anybody your hourly rate. That's garbaggio, in my opinion. You don't want to do it that way. You don't want to be bound to time. 
And there's a bunch of reasons. The number one reason is usage. It's something you got to think about. Now, usage is a legal term. You're going to see it on contracts. You're going to see it, uh, you know, you're going to hear fancy pants people talking about the usage. Well, that's what are the usage rights. Usage just means how they're going to use it. You just got to think about how this company or how this person that's hiring you is going to use what you're doing. And you have to put a value to that. You have to say, okay, there's my time. And then there's how you're using this. If you're an architect, you're just billing for your time because you're just making a house for somebody, right? And it's just, that's the end of the equation. But if you're an architect and you're building a building for some, for a business that's then going to use that building to make money, it's going to, it's more valuable than someone just using it to live. And so you got to think about how many people, when this company or this person uses your work, how much value are they getting from it? This is where you get into this thing called value-based pricing. And I highly suggest go get this free ebook from FreshBooks. It's called Breaking the Time Barrier. And it's essentially this idea of how you get away from just billing for your time and get into quoting and billing people for the value that they get from your service. And so they use the example of a website. If you build a website, it's not just the amount of time that you spend doing it. It's how much of a, how much value are you delivering? If you deliver a website and it causes that company to earn $200,000, you should get $10,000 of that. If you build a website and it causes them to earn a million dollars, you should get $100,000 of that or something, you know, $50,000. But the value you provide to them should be reflecting on how much you get paid regardless of how much time you spend. And so the things you got to think about or how many people is this going to impact? You're ultimately thinking about how valuable is this to them, which goes into how many people are they going are going to see this or interact with this? How many how many people do they stand to impact with your creative work? And that can be questions like whether it's in print, whether it's online, whether it's TV. Another thing to think about with usage is something I think about is do I want this company to use it? You know, there are certain companies that I just won't work for, that I'm just like morally I'm objecting and I'm not going to work for this company. But then there's a spectrum of companies where it's like, I would love to have my name next to that company versus I'm not crazy about being associated with that company. So they're going to have to pay me more money essentially. And so that's something I consider when I'm coming up with this price of usage. This is how they're using it. So you got to think about basically what's the value they're getting, which comes from the impact that this stuff is going to make. Sometimes that means whether it's going to be in print, whether it's going to be online, whether it's going to be in TV, however they're using it. You're thinking about what's the value of what they're asking me to do, and then you're tacking on how much that's worth. Now, ultimately, to get those numbers, to get those ideas, uh, I find that every industry has general standards and there are actually books out there that will give you the, the industry standards on these, but I found those books to not be super helpful. The thing that I found extremely helpful from the get-go was to reach out to potential peers or my peers in the industry and asking them blunt questions like, how much do you quote for your day rate? 
or how much how what percentage of a project do you do uh, that do you tack on for usage on top of your timeline? And actually, there's there's tons of good resources out there once you kind of know the basic languages around what you should be billing for. But those are kind of my general pricing categories. And so if I'm going to come up with my day rate, then for a you can come up with categories for how how much you want to tack on for how many people it's going to impact and what value it's going to place. And that can get you closer to the total. And I would recommend, if at all possible, quoting for project to project, not for your time. Because getting in that time, getting nailed down to your time is a really bad idea. And here's here's the number one reason why, and then we're going to close this pricing section up. The number one reason why you don't want to get roped into billing just your time, it's not just so that you can get the max amount of money or the best deal. It's because economics are all about incentives. Like that's that's what economics are about. It's the study of incentives. It's not just the study of money. And so you want the incentives. You and the client want the incentives to be in the right place. You know, an interesting thing to think about, not to get political, but if you look at the medical industry in America versus the medical industry in, in a socialist country. Um, <laughs> this is getting dicey, but it, it's just a point. Like, here's the thing. So in uh, the, one of the issues with the way that we have healthcare set up is that the incentives, the healthcare industry actually has an incentive to keep people unhealthy. Now, I'm not saying anything about what exactly we should do to fix this. I'm just saying one problem is that the industry, the healthcare industry actually stands to profit from people needing more medicine, from needing more healthcare. And, and that's an incentive problem. Whereas when the government pays for your healthcare, their incentive is to keep people healthy so that they don't have to pay for your healthcare or your medicine. So it's just an interesting kind of problem with it when it comes to incentives. And the same kind of applies to uh, the same kind of applies to um, the the world of of pricing because if your money is directly tied to how much time you spend, your incentive is to spend the max amount of time on something so that you can bill for the max amount of hours because the more time you spend, the more money you make. And the client doesn't want that and you ultimately don't want that either because you don't want to have to spend long hours on something that doesn't require long hours because that's just miserable and terrible. And that's why I really suggest having an understanding of what your hourly rate and your day rate is, but ultimately thinking more about usage, more about value-based pricing. Last little bit that I want to share uh, just some tools, just some, and this is just kind of, I'm not going to give you any groundbreaking things, but I'm going to encourage you right from the get-go to get the tools you need for your business to run properly. One thing that I just tell you right now, I don't care where you are, if you're in creative business of any kind, get bookkeeping software right now. There's plenty of them. Quicken, FreshBooks. I use GoDaddy, but it's a long story of why I use that, and it's not necessarily the one I would recommend. 
get software that you can invoice and that it automatically keeps track of your income through your invoicing. Right now, it will simplify things. It will mean not setting up complicated Excel spreadsheets. It is a game changer. Go do it right now. If you have really complex complex uh, schedules, I would consider looking into Cushion. Cushion also allows you to do invoices. Cushion, by the way, I don't work for them anymore, but I used to do a podcast with them called Ask a Freelancer. Uh, and and, the, and the, the developer behind it is a friend of mine, full disclosure, but this guy is an excellent developer and he created this thing called Cushion that helps you see a bird's eye view of your calendar. And so if you have really tricky calendar, I highly suggest using tools like Cushion for that. Get a P.O. box as soon as possible so that you're not giving out people your home address because hopefully one day your thing is a massive success and you don't want crazy stalkers that are obsessed with your creativity to show up on your front door, right? Um, so get a P.O. box. I would say, uh, you know, get get a thermal printer Get for your if you're shipping out orders. You know, you don't have to buy ink cartridges. It just lasts forever. But essentially, I don't have any amazing tools that I use. You know, I use the basics. I use my notes app on my phone to keep track of stuff. And I keep my, and I have my bookkeeping software. But get those things. Get an accountant. Get those basic tools. You're going to need them. The cost will pay for itself in just time and frustration. Highly recommend it. One of the things that motivates me to do this podcast is that I'm so heartbroken by creative people not valuing themselves, you know, being this person that it's just like, I'm going to keep a low overhead. I'm not going to take up a lot of space. Like, I'll, you don't have to worry about me. I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to be any trouble. I'll just live under the stairs, you know, like Harry Potter <clears throat> at the Dursleys. Just not having any belief or self-respect or, or confidence that they have tremendous value to deliver to society. And it just breaks my heart to see these incredible people that society desperately needs, these, these business types that, that are so in demand and them to not see it in themselves and just downplay and, and live just much, much smaller lives than they deserve. And so if that is you, let me be your wizard of pizza, your Glinda, the good witch of the pizza, and tell you, my dear, you've had the power to go home the whole time. You have the business power in you the whole time. You have it in you right now. And if you are ready to embark, you can go from the unwanted runt living under the stairs to the chosen one at the top of the wizarding class. You didn't know it. You were living like a nerd with the glasses only to find out that you're Anne Hathaway 
in Princess Diaries. You are business royalty, and you've been living like creative poverty. Now, all I can do is tell you that you've got the ruby red flippers. But you've got to be the one to swim into the waters. But my hope is that this episode would help you realize that you've got the power, that it would unlock a sense of confidence. It would unlock a sense of value, that you are in demand, you are needed, you are the exact type of person that's missing in these business communities. And we need you to believe in yourself, to believe that you've had it all along and get out there and get splashing around. Thanks for listening. If you love Creative Pep Talk and it has made an impact on your creative career or on your heart, there are a few ways you can support the show. You can review the show on iTunes. That really helps. Believe me, it really helps. I know it seems like it wouldn't, but if you never have, please do go on iTunes and review the show. Back the podcast financially at patreon.com slash Talk. I love you, Patreon backers. You are the foundation that we build this creative house on. Or you can get some merch. If you're kind of a give and take kind of person, yeah, you want to give, but you want to get something back, that's totally fine. Go to creativepeptalk.com slash shop to get some merch. I've got all kinds of new merch coming at you guys. Uh, excited about that. You can also get access to the first 100 episodes of the show and stay up to date with new shows dropping by signing up to the newsletter at creativepeptalk.com. And also, like I mentioned at the beginning of the show, if you need more pep, I think about this show as being the compliment to your morning coffee, but you got five days a week at least where you're grinding and you got to have coffee and creative pep. But what if you've already listened to every episode or what if you, you just need a different format? You know, I like to uh, have my coffee and the equivalent of the morning paper is like scrolling through Instagram. Go sign up, go follow me on Instagram at Andy J pizza. I'll be great. I'll be I don't know what the GR word I was searching for there was, but I will be creating, creating fresh, fresh business content for that's creative pep talk like on Instagram. So you can get your fix that way and get pepped to the max uh, by following me on Instagram. Thanks. Thanks to Yoni Wolf and the band Y for our theme music. If you've never listened to January 20-something by Y and you've been a big fan of this podcast for a long time, it might blow your socks off because that's the song. You can find it on Spotify, January 20-something. It's the song that we open this podcast with every week. Uh, And Yoni, if you're listening, which I'm sure you're not, if you're listening, please start playing that song in your sets. Next time I see you, I want to hear that song because it's going to make me cry if I hear you guys play my podcast theme song live. Anyway... You can go check that out. Thanks to Alex Sugg for the soundtrack to this show and the editing of this show. If you like the tunes you're hearing and you want to listen to this instrumental jazz while you work, go to Spotify or Apple Music and listen to the Creative Pep Talk podcast soundtrack by Alex Sugg. I listen to it. It's one of my. It's been my current go-to for work music. Go check it out. Thank you guys so much. And until we speak again, stay pepped up. Uh,